0: Welcome to the Media Podcast, I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, Trinity Mirror is ordered to pay more than a quarter of a million pounds to Sadie Frost in the biggest single payout in phone hacking history. John Whittingdale is the new Culture Secretary, but what does his appointment mean for the BBC? Plus the winners and losers in this week's RAJAR results. Radio 1 says it's shedding old listeners, but is that the whole story? Plus, ITV revenues are up, but audiences are going down. London newspapers are to be edited from an office in Dorset and there just might be time for the Media Podcast quiz. This is the Media Podcast sponsored by Audioboom. And with me today at the Hospital Club is the journalist Maggie Brown, veteran of the show, veteran of the industry, and a warm welcome as well for her first time on the pod to Fleet Street Fox. It is Susie Boniface. Hi, Susie. Hello. Hello. Welcome to you both. Uh, Maggie, what have you been up to? You've normally been to some lavish launch of something and been uh,
1: supplied with wine. Wine's not necessary if I see a good show. Uh, I've been at Channel 4 to um, preview of their um, humans, which is a really interesting uh, drama, which basically says, what would the world be like if we all had a, a domestic robot or a slave in our house, and um, what what happens when they go wrong? And I actually thought, for once, I don't even like sci-fi, and I'm not really even interested in artificial intelligence. But the other point is, of course, the robots are actually played by human beings mm. acting like robots, mm. which is another twist to it. And the other side of it is, I suppose, that there is this sort of thriller aspect to it which is going to unfold over eight weeks final point it is a f- it is a pointer to the future because this is the first uh channel Four drama that is um commissioned as an international drama so it has a, a co-production uh, partner and it is made Eight, eight episodes. It's designed very much to take on the Netflixes and the HBOs. Yeah,
0: both. it's interesting isn't it how many of these new dramas across all of the networks, Sky in particular seem to be commissioning now to, to watch On Demand later, nothing to do with when they're, they're it's live. It's also
1: schedule. a remake of a, a, a Swedish um, Format too. So. All the best
0: things are. The media podcast was probably a Swedish format at some point. Uh, Susie, what have you been up to this week?
2: Um, well, I've uh, filed a story to the Sunday Mirror on a continuing campaign which I've been writing on since 2002 about nuclear test veterans. The guys who in the 1950s and 1960s were sent to the South Pacific to witness nuclear bomb tests and returned home to say they had a legacy of rare, horrible illnesses and children with 10 times the rate of birth defects and so on and so forth. It's a very grim, horrible campaign. Sunday Mirror has been doing it for a long time now and I've been doing it for a long time since I've left their employment even I'm still doing it and there's an update about how it may have affected actually a lot of civilians as well hopefully going in this week.
0: Okay yeah sounds like a good read. Okay well you've segued us effortlessly to talk about our first story which is about the Mirror in less positive news a High Court judge. Ordering Trinity Mirror to pay more than £1 million in damages as a result of phone hacking. The money's going to be going to eight celebrities, including the actress Sadie Frost, who receives more than a quarter of a million pounds in compensation. Trinity Mirror has said that it may consider appealing the ruling and so far there has been no criminal charge broad, but there is a criminal trial ongoing in parallel to the civil case. Uh, Maggie, what do you make of all of this? Because this has been going on for years now, hasn't it? Is this the end of it? Probably not. There seems no. to be more. Well, I mean, the key
1: thing surely is that, that um, the previous... Uh, settlements have all been done privately so we haven't had much indication of what the scale of damages has been for News International and Rupert Murdoch uh, so this is why it is a historic moment and of course it is now going to be only probably the first of a great many claims and and maybe settlements because uh, it was said that um, this was uh making the news of the world look like a small cottage industry in terms, in terms of ha- phone hacking. Uh, these eight people included, actually, Alan Yentop, BBC creative director, uh, Paul Gascoigne, uh, and some soap stars, Shane Ritchie, Lucy Taggart, and actor Siobhan Gulati. So it's a quite wry, wide range of people. I think it's quite a serious moment because... Uh, this was a civil hearing. There are, as you said, um, potential criminal charges potentially to follow. Uh, Trinity Mirror, the owner, uh, is a quoted company on the stock exchange. It is the major owner of of uh, a lot of regional newspaper titles, um, including, of course, the ones that um, used to be owned by the Guardian uh, Media Group, which um, I, I, I write for. Uh, so we are now at a point with the doors being opened, and um, I think a lot more, uh, a lot more money is going to be needed, and indeed has been pledged 16 million extra, on top of 12 million that um, uh, the Mirror Group has already or is now putting aside. I'm a great fan of the Mirror. I read it every morning. And, of course, during the election, it was one of the stalwart voices um, giving balance to the press by supporting... The only
0: populist voice going for Labour, wasn't it? exactly.
1: So uh, so it's an an important newspaper group and and it's it's rather tragic to see the scale of the the misbehaviour. Susie,
0: what will do you think losing £28 million, which is the money Maggie's just alluded to, they've set aside, mean for Trinity Mirror?
1: Well, they've set it aside
2: over a number of years, so hopefully they've factored it in. Um, all newspaper groups have been making cutbacks and redundancies and things anyway in the past few years, and that's not necessarily related to this. Trinity Mirror has certainly done some of that, but that's been related to recession. It's been related to the digital revolution and so on and so forth. It's part of the retrenchment which the board hopefully will have been planning for, um, and. We'll have to just sort of see how it goes. But I think what's really interesting with the Mirror Group, with Trinity Mirror as a company, is that it's not got a billionaire backing it like a lot of other populist newspapers do. Even The Independent has a billionaire behind it. There is no big, deep pocket. It's got three national titles. There are more than 200 local titles. There are a total of about 5,000 journalists employed all over the country... There are, I think, it's about a dozen people who've been questioned by the police so far uh, and two who've been convicted, I think, at the moment. So most of those titles and most of those people are completely innocent of any of these allegations. And if there's a big lot of money that gets affected my concern would be that those local newspapers and the local journalists who already have enough problems dealing with uh, local news websites and BBC news websites taking some of their business uh, and the the loss of advertising revenue and so on locally they've got enough problems as it is and if to have something more where they might lose some revenue from their parent company I think would be extremely difficult for local journalism and that is actually something that affects all of us more far more than national journalism does because it affects the scrutiny of our local planning committee the people who deliver our bins the people who to um, tarmac our roads and worry about our neighbours and so on. So local journalists are very important.
0: But they were phone hacking. And and Maggie, does this now mean, in a way, it's kind of vindicated, Rupert Murdoch. You know, they always sort of implied they weren't the only ones at it and perhaps they were being unfairly singled out.
1: Well, it's quite clearly these these, um, cases uh, have really stemmed from 2000 to 2010. So it's a decade, really, of... um, of of misbehaviour and of course it's the Daily Mirror Sunday Mirror and the people so
2: yeah and I think what's very unfair is that um, for everybody concerned whether you've been a victim of phone hacking as I have or whether you were one of those few people that perpetrated it or anything else it's that there's such a small number of people comparatively you're a victim of it I, I was hacked by the News of the World yeah uh, but not uh, as a personal... They went after my personal life. They were after the story I was working on at the same time that they were
0: after it at the time. How did you know that you were being hacked?
2: Oh, not for years. I didn't know until um, it turned out later that Max Clifford, who had brought the story to us, and the hooker in question had both been told by the police they were hacked. And I, at the time, after our story was published, there was a huge it's very difficult to talk about. But the News of the World published the story the very same day we did it uh, at the Sunday Mirror and they got it in their earlier edition, which printed before us and they shouldn't have known we were doing it but they did know somehow and it later, years later, transpires it's because they were hacking everybody's When was, when was the story published though? Oh, this was 2004, and four, five. It's a long time ago now.
0: When it comes to the kind of names that will get people to buy a tabloid paper though people are still interested in showbiz celebrities politicians up to no good and all the rest. Susie, where do you look for a story now that you can't hack phones? I mean, journalists have had to be, I suppose, a little bit more innovative well, than that. But remember,
2: most journalists never hacked phones to start with. There are 30,000 journalists and print journalists in the UK, and most of them were never doing it, and I never did it. Sure. However, it's very ironic that this particular scandal is something that was born out of a kind of middle-class, chattering classes' disgust at showbiz tittle-tattle. Uh, that's how it all began at the News of the World and, and the, uh, the Guardian's investigation and so on and so forth, was that we don't want this kind of thing in our newspapers anymore. Then we've had the whole phone hacking scandal. Then we've had Leveson. And where we are left now is that the best source of showbiz stories for journalists is Twitter, where celebrities are putting their own tittle-tattle on the internet and we just steal it. So actually what you get, because that is verified, because it is legally proven to be something that they wrote, because... Um, for lots of legal and ethical reasons, that's a sound way of doing it, you get more tittle-tattle and more showbiz rubbish, and actually we've got more of what it is that those people initially were trying to stop anyway.
0: Okay, let's talk about NewsQuest, final thing on print. They've moved their production of their North London weeklies 140 miles away to Weymouth. Uh, Can you make any sense of that at all?
2: Well, it is just production, and Uh, For those who don't know, production is the um, actual presentation of the pages. So presumably, the reporters and editorial staff are still where they would be based to speak locally to people. Production just means the pages are being drawn together in a centralised hub somewhere to save costs. And so the sub editors who are hacking those stories into shape and laying out the pages and putting the headlines on are in a different place. There is a bit of a knock-on effect with that because quite often the sub will will ring a reporter and ask a question and go, "But you, you know, a sub should know." you've spelt the name of this road wrong, you've spelt the town wrong, there's a typo in this and they're not going to have that same local knowledge and the sub-editors on a newspaper are like encyclopaedias, they're amazing people.
0: And is it, is it just nostalgia that we want this kind of localism, Maggie, from our local press in every element?
1: I notice a distinct uh, difference, though, between what you might say the very local press, the, the, the weekly press, where I think the subbing is, is virtually non-existent very often. And you go up the scale, and uh, when you come to a daily paper, you, you can't operate a credible daily paper without some form of um, oversight and editor, simply because of the speed at which you do things and because of the value of the title. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I, I write for The Guardian quite a bit, and, um, sometimes, and The Observer, and sometimes you do feel that more resources would be very useful in the subbing department because everybody's fallible
0: let's turn our attention to radio the quarterly radar results are out and the rise of digital listening seems to be benefiting the new kids on the block uh matt deegan creative director of folder media has been poring over the data and earlier gave us this lowdown
4: uh, that's right ollie i'm in the media podcast and bunker um it's been an interesting quarter um uh, for radio uh, for me the, the big shift actually is in consumer behavior so for the first time uh, 60% of UK radio listeners listen to some form of digital radio each week um, and that accounts now for 40% of all radio listening uh, is now on platforms that aren't AM or FM um, it doesn't really matter whether it's DAB or the internet or what it really shows is that um, consumers are using lots of different bits of technology uh, to listen to the radio um, and the knock-on has been some recent changes. So Magic uh, has gone from being just a, an FM radio station in London to being a, a nationwide service on DAB. Uh, and it's something that's really benefited them. In their first quarter, um, they're up to over three, uh, 3 million listeners, 3.6 million listeners now across the country, uh, which is huge. Uh, London reaches 1.9 million, so that's saying that um, over 1.5 million people are now listening to that service across the country. Similar for KISS, it uh, used to be just an FM radio station in London, in the west of England and in the east of England uh, now nationwide they're up to 4.9 million and their spin-off stations are doing really well too so Kistery, a kind of classic hits for dance, uh, is doing um, over a million listeners back to the regular radio stations well the battleground is always London um, where uh, last quarter for the first time KISS overtook capital uh, they've retained their lead um, and also for the first time uh, the KISS breakfast show with Ricky Malvin and Charlie is now the number one commercial uh, radio breakfast show um, in the capital I think only beaten uh, by radio two and radio four uh, so a, a real stonker for them uh, I mean capital across the board disappointing I think they've got their worst share ever uh, at 3.8%. I think it makes them the fifth biggest uh, commercial station in London uh, when you look at ours. Over on the BBC, uh, pretty good. Uh, Radio 4 Extra has now become their biggest digital station, uh, bigger than um, Six Music. uh, Now both over 2 million listeners. Uh, One Extra came off a little bit. Um, Radio 2 came down a little bit, but still stonking figures. Seemingly everybody in the country listens to Radio 2. They can uh, never be that disappointed uh, with their numbers. Not so hot for Radio 1 uh, now. Uh, Radio 1, I think, um, are down to their worst audience share ever um, at 6.4%. Uh, and they're below. What they see internally is a, um, a bit of a psychological 10 million mark. Uh, they're, they're down at 9.6 million, which I think is probably their lowest reach in a decade. Now, Radio 1 is saying that that's OK because they're getting rid of all the oldies Uh, When I look at the numbers, I think that's perhaps true, but uh, a useful spin. Uh, I mean, Nick Grimshaw is is still not massively performing. Um, It's done okay for them, uh, but uh, the fact that that they've dropped back does show that 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 breakfast show really needs um, a bit more support. Uh, Looking at the rest of the country... One of the other big changes has been uh, Magic disappearing off AM and being replaced by the 2s. So Bauer now have uh, Metro 2 for Metro and Key 2 for Key 103. Uh, All of those stations pretty much down. Uh, I think it's going to be a long, old um, hike for those stations to see if if they do well. Matt Deegan there.
0: You can let him out of the bunker now.
3: Hello listeners, I'm Stephen Allen York. I'm a London-based voiceover artist and I'm about to read you today's adverts, so listen up. Right, here we go. This episode of the Media Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one web platform that gives you all you need to showcase your content, whether that's audio, video or photography. Squarespace uses your own web browser to build you a website. That's good, isn't it? No downloads required. And provides templates to suit all styles and tones. They also have e-commerce solutions, which, I don't know, I think, I'm pretty sure that means you can sell things through your site. And it also gives you 24-hour support all around the clock from offices in the US and the UK. For a free two-week trial with no credit card required, go to squarespace.com now. Now, right now. And if you like what you get and want 10% off a subscription, just use the offer code MEDIAPOD at a checkout. I'm Stephen Allen York, and you can hear all the other accents, characters and voices I can do at me agent's website, yakiyak.co.uk.
4: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes.
3: Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt.
4: Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com.
3: Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live, from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating. all right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch.
4: Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG.
3: In the meantime, ta out my lovelies, and
0: enjoy the rest of the show. Right, now the dust has settled. Dimbleby's election cave has been packed away. Uh, David Cameron has cancelled the removal men and the new Conservative government is taking shape. Uh, We had our sort of post-mortem of the election coverage last time on the media podcast. Uh, And we were talking about what happens next for the BBC. That was always going to be the big story. Boyd Hilton pointedly said last week they would be shitting themselves uh, with the Tories coming back. We now find out, of course, that John Whittingdale is Culture Secretary, former chair of the Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee, taking over from Sajid Javid. Uh, He seems no less interested, Maggie, in uh, retaining that commitment, not to raise the licence fee at least.
1: Well, yes, it does seem on the face of it that the current freeze, which is in in place till 2017 could be continued beyond into the next charter renewal. It's charter renewal that we're really uh, getting geared up for. On the other hand, one of the things that strikes me about all of this, this is sort of counter all of the uh, very uh, kind of almost hysterical fears about Whittingdale and what the Tories will do to the BBC, is that when you look at the, the election results, sorry to go back to the election, but you'll see that basically England is blue uh, and that it gets a bit redder as you go north, and then, of course, it's yellow for Scotland. But fundamentally, uh, if you had to plot the popularity of the BBC against the map, you would find that the BBC is greatly loved by what you might call Middle England. Mm. So there is Whittingdale has been around long enough to know that while there are many things about the BBC institutionally, including high-pay um, Ridiculously high and wrong overpayments to redundant top cheeses, all the rest of it. There is also a great deal of popular support for the programming of the BBC. As for Whittingdale, you know, he's very, very well informed. That's one good thing about him. He knows that he knows... He was shadowing the job like 20 years ago, wasn't he? he? Well, yeah, he was. But, I mean, the point is he's been chairing that committee, the Mm. Culture and Media Sport Committee, which, remember, is always taking evidence, always quizzing BBC executives. brought out an extremely good report in February, a 188-page report on proposals for... You know the BBC. Uh, what he's pledged f- to do is not to have that 2010 in a dark room uh, night of uh, negotiations. They were also very opposed to further top, slice- top slicing of the license fee, getting more out of the license fee be than. No Torizans
0: no but, to but but the
1: but the committee which he chaired oh, was I see. he I mean he was holding oh, so you the
0: ring. remember
1: you the culture media sport committee which he chaired, was made up of all you know every different parties so yes, yeah, so that this very well received report had quite positive things you might say from the BBC's point of view yeah, but, but, you say, are,
0: but you are saying that despite the fact that conservatives had in their manifesto they want more top slicing. Uh, And despite the fact that they've won the election, you, you still think that their culture secretary, because he used to chair a committee that didn't like top slicing, might change his mind? I'm
1: just saying that he'll make a more kind of educated and nuanced approach than I think people fear, because he knows the facts. And because, as I said at the beginning, whether you like it or not, at the moment, the BBC's output is actually appreciated by those very same people who vote for the Conservative Party. What I think the BBC ought to do, it seems to me pretty obvious, it's got a big commercial operation, it ought to find a way of expressing, maybe as a dividend, what the commercial side gives to um, each licence fee payer so that you could freeze the licence fee maybe but also show that it's, it's actually increasing thanks to all of the accrued goodwill and copyright and all of the content that the BBC has has stacked up over over decades. So actually. if the Doctor who, who film does say.
0: particularly well, we should all get a pound Absolutely. back on our license fee. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, maybe. <laughs> or if we if we don't like strictly this year,
2: we manage to get some money. <laughs> the other thing, but interesting about Whittingdale, I was moving away from the BBC for a moment, is that um, it means that any kind of regulation of the press has been dropped out of the window into the back of a bin lorry that's motoring towards the tip. Well, that was the same as uh, Sa- Sajid Javid David anyway. That, um, yeah. And it also means probably that Leveson Part 2, which everyone seems to have forgotten about, which was supposed to be held uh, after the phone hacking trials were over to look into that particular issue, has, has, is probably never going to see the light of day.
0: OK, well, let's, let's move on from the BBC to talk about uh, what they used to call Channel 3. Revenue up at ITV, but audiences down. Do you feel confident, Maggie, that ITV have enough future successes lined up to take the place of Downton Abbey uh, and the Champions League? Uh, because a lot of the things they've launched this year, it seems, things like uh, Harry Hill stars in their eyes, uh, Rising Star, which they put all that development money into and they never even screened, uh, haven't exactly been huge successes.
1: Well, what's actually happened is that they have commissioned three new big dramas. Uh, They were announced today, actually. Uh, Mammoth Screen is making uh, a thing about Queen Victoria as a girl. Um, There's Peter Pan that's already in production, a modern dress one. And uh, they're doing a a 19th century Yorkshire drama, Jericho. So these are uh, big, expensive um, period stroke uh, mainstream Sunday night dramas that they're clearly going to try out uh, uh, losing Downton Abbey is of course a, a, a very big problem but they clearly must have had an inkling that this was going to happen they have a real problem in two areas it isn't just that Downton's going they have entertainment problems because quite clearly the Simon Cowell um, uh, input is is I would say on the way in, in particular X Factor which yes. I think is, is boring not Britain's Got Talent which is kind of endlessly able to sort of find new curiosities, it seems to me. Well, that's the
0: weird thing, isn't it? You'd point at his whole operation and say, well, that feels like five years ago, except Britain's Got Talent gets bigger and bigger every mm. single year.
1: I think the, I think that's true. But but the problem is there have been other attempts from Cal that have just not uh, worked very well. And the other factor is that at the moment, they... Seemed to me they—they they were trying. You mentioned those entertainment shows. They were trying to find a way of almost retrofitting old um, formats, which just have all virtually all collapsed, and they haven't found a way. Which they—I would assume that they would have found a way to do really popular factual drama. Really the kind of shows that they would probably love to have would be things like a Gogglebox or even a Benefit Street if it could be done in an ITV way. That's, as for losing football, well quite clearly that's why they are clearly interested in Top Gear or some form of male-skewing programmes. The, the call has gone out for months now, a year ago. I mean, this isn't a new crisis.
2: But I think also they've they've over-diversified their number of digital channels. I mean, they launched a few months ago ITVB, supposed to be just for women, also just for completely brainless people of any kind, because <laughs> it was decided that only women are only interested in Geordie Shaw and Real Housewives and nothing else of any merit whatsoever. In, in fairness, and, if the marketing
0: strapline was only for stupid women, that would have got them in. Into- well, only water, for stupid it?
2: people, generally. But I mean, the fact that it was only for women—I personally found it massively insulting that this was the kind of thing I was supposed, in quote marks, to be interested in. I'm a female. I looked out. I checked. I was definitely female, and <laughs> I was not interested in anything it had on air. And your channel, I quite like to, uh, watching Viva Dave, and, which
0: is uh, for living. blokes. What? So, you I mean, can't watch Dave? That's for men.
1: Exactly. And um, then you see, come out. Of the, pub the point well, is, no? they have—they have got strong. They've done very well with ITV2, ITV3. ITV4 isn't, of course, very successful yet. Some of the, main, the stuff that's on ITV2
2: and ITV3 should be
1: on the main ITV channel. Well, because- they have tried Keith Lemon, for example, their big star on ITV2, and he, I, through the keyhole he's worked. I mean, he's an up-and-coming uh, voice and presenter, but his main show is just too risky for um, ITV1. I think that the whole of the digital strategies are always going to have to be uh, worked on and amended. They're never actually... I mean, I, Sky at the moment is about to do a, a big relaunch and is in the process of preparing for I think it's the 9th of June. So I I don't think digital's ever kind of cut and dried. It may be that ITVB, they'll decide, won't work. I mean, Sky's going to stop commissioning original stuff for its living channel, which it bought from Virgin. So who knows?
0: And just briefly staying with ITV, they've had a strike there as well, Susie. Some of the staff there angry at the 2% pay rise they've been given Uh, despite the overall improvement in the company's fortunes.
2: Yep, and they've had quite a high turnout in the votes amongst the union members there, uh, well over what the new Tory government would like your turnout uh, to be before you're allowed to have a strike so they all, a lot of them sort of walked out. And they're getting 2% um, the actual, the overall company ITV have had a 6% increase in revenues, Um, the executives and the shareholders all managed to get a nice payout. I mean it's one of those times where actually we've been through a recession, we've all experienced austerity we've all had our belts tightened to the point where we look like queen victoria in a particularly tricky corset and it probably is time to at least be able to say to most of your staff well look you know we're all going to have a flat you know you can all have a bit this year that comes to this much and obviously if you start paying your masses number of foot soldiers one percent then your tiny number of uh chiefs in top of it can't get their six figure bonuses but you know you need to start actually letting people loosen their belts a bit now we are through that period and it's quite right that they've marched out on strike I would have done the same
0: except it didn't seem to really affect the talent we saw on screen very much the most high profile name that didn't cross the uh, strike line was Martin Lewis who was going doesn't in to that, do his th- slot yeah, but Good they, they were
2: filming stuff the day before they did This Morning the day before they did Loose Women the day before everyone had to work harder on that particular day because so they, they couldn't go in because it was the um, the technical staff a lot of them were out on strike so they couldn't record the next day and doesn't that just show that um, This Morning format and the Loose Women format and lots of things at, so not related to current affairs that you can do it 24 hours earlier and people generally don't notice. But
0: doesn't it also show, which was my point, that the talent on screen aren't members of unions anymore? They don't feel part of the same industry. They're all self-employed.
2: They're all freelancers, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. So they don't care.
0: But you care.
2: (laughs) I care because I don't work
0: there. There you go. Susie Boniface speaking up for the ITV staff represent... It is time for the media podcast quiz. Am I allowed to groan? Uh, Yeah, sure, yeah, I think that's pretty much obligatory. Uh, Cue Maggie's groan.
1: Groan. There we go.
0: Uh, (laughs) Now, usually, as you know, I ask you to buzz in with your names. That did prove a little bit too complicated for you, Maggie, last time. So this time, we've given you a buzzer for fastest fingers first. You've got a pen and a glass of water. Let's hear that. That's the sound of Maggie and Susie. You've got a teaspoon and a saucer. Let's hear that. There we go. Two very, very clearly identifiable sounds there. Uh, nobody's going to go away empty handed, except, of course, the loser who leaves with nothing. So it's all to play for. Question one. Who would like to put an X on the 2020 <coughs> election ballot paper? Susie came in first. Yes.
2: Simon Cowell. And I think it's a great idea. So long as he, what he wants to uh, introduce um, X Factor style Political leaders' debates, and considering the wrangling we had over the last one and David Cameron not wanting to look bad, this is probably never going to happen. But it's a sh- wouldn't it be amazing if the X Factor buzzers were somehow linked to a flamethrower rather than the golden ticket? <laughs> and if someone was a complete idiot, like for example, Nigel Farage was uh, criticizing the audience and the whole audience was against him on that BBC debate, that actually there that was, was some was kind wonderful. of everyone got of to life. vote and everyone had a buzzer on the back mm-hmm. of their seat, and then there's just a psh-
0: and he was gone. And also, if we're forming a hung parliament, you know, you could have Nicole Scherzinger there saying, you know what, I'm not sure any of you are good enough individually, but I can really see a band here. (laughs) That could work really well. Uh, Question number two, which channel may not be live for much longer? Maggie Brown.
1: Oh, this is live TV. London Um, Live, yes. London Live. It's the local um, TV franchise, which is owned by the Lebedevs and uh, operated alongside the Evening Standard and um, is sadly uh, in trouble.
0: Yeah, Steve Auckland, the chief executive of London Live, being quoted by Campaign Magazine as saying the channel must stand on its own two feet rather than rely on help from the evening Standard. Well,
1: it's interesting because only this morning I was just speaking to Rob Woodward, who runs STV, Scottish ITV, and, of course, they've got the local TV franchises for Glasgow and Edinburgh, and they're working really well because they're backed up by a broadcaster which understands the medium, and it's cross-promoted after after Coronation Street. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting things, in about back Scotland. to
2: Whittendale, actually, is that he's, I think someone has suggested that some of these local localised TV uh, licences are going to be revoked because it's going to save a lot of money if they can do that and put the money into something. else. I, I think it was the Liberal Democrats suggested before the election they wanted to cancel the localised things and then put that money into helping the BBC licence fee come down a little bit. So maybe that'll never happen at all now because we haven't got any Liberal Democrats. I mean,
0: it's also, the, the thing is, I, I suppose when you get out of the big uh, cities around the country, it, you don't... Don't expect your local TV station to be very good. The bar's set very low. So when you tune in, it's okay. You'll be interested. I think the problem with London Live is it's London. So you expect the same quality you get from stations that have had millions poured into them. Well, you expect something competent. But the
2: other, interestingly, when it first launched, I was asked once or twice to go in to do some commentary work uh, in their studio. You know, everyone sits around on a stool and chats about something or other. And I said, okay, sure, fine. Uh, I don't live right next to it. You know, what's the, the freelance fee for coming in? Oh, no, there isn't one well, I'm not coming in then, you know. And if that's the way they're going to run a TV station, then they're not going to have much luck.
0: Uh, question three. Who's going to hell for six prime time hours? This is the tiebreak. Who's going to hell? Yes, Susie. <coughs> uh, Freddie Flintoff. It is Freddie Flintoff. Congratulations, you win the quiz. Uh, this is the new commission Ultimate Hell with Freddie Flintoff, in which the cricketer will search for the UK's ...toughest recruit. Uh, They'll put contestants through the recruitment week from hell... ...which we're assured is a military assault course... Uh, rather than a week with Alan Sugar's henchmen scowling at your oh, CV I should
2: have a week in the Sun newsroom or something it'd be a lot more <laughs> difficult no but this, this is they got all the sort of the normal hell weeks from Navy SEALs which you saw in GI Jane from the Royal Marine Commandos from various special forces around the world and tr- taken a few tests out of them and going to put all these recruits through it and probably what you're going to have is lots of people who are terribly fit and healthy and terribly keen on doing Iron Man contests and stuff like that all trying to yomp and and cope with whatever it is they're doing um, and it would be so much more fun if it was x Factor. To contestants. Or Freddie Finchol hasn't eaten or... too
1: many fish and chips. That's no. what's bothering me because he was doing that fish and chip I'm not sure he's thing a natural he, on born Sky. Presenter.
0: They said that about Ross Kemp and he isn't a natural born presenter. But then after about six years, you kind of get used to him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so maybe it'll be just like that with lots of pauses. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, Thank you very much. Congratulations on winning the quiz. Yay! Well, that's it for today. My thanks to Susie Boniface and Maggie Brown. You can find all our previous instalments and get new ones downloaded automatically straight to your phone. Just head to themediapodcast.com. And that's also the site to visit if you would like a future episode dedicated to in your name. Just press the donate button. Today's show is dedicated to David Marlowe, an assistant head teacher, a lover of media news, and a media podcast addict. Uh, And to John Kroll, a journalism professor blogging at JohnCrollDigital.com. Thanks very much both. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer Peter Price. The media podcast is a PPM production. Until next time, bye-bye.